0: This is The Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Now, here's Roger Stone. Welcome back. This is Roger Stone and this is The Roger Stone Show. Take a minute to download that 77WABC app to your cell phone so you don't miss any of the great programming here at 77WABC. It is well worth your time. Joining us now uh, is one of the country's most prominent criminal defense attorneys. Uh, He represented President uh, Donald Trump. Uh, in one of his uh, impeachment proceedings in the U.S. Senate. Uh, To my mind, he may be the single most brilliant legal mind in the country because he is that rare lawyer who not only has an encyclopedic knowledge of the law, but he also understands the overlay of media, public opinion, politics, and everything that must be taken into consideration in a high-profile trial in America today. David Schoen, welcome to the Roger Stone Show.
1: Thank you very much. Great to be with you. Uh,
0: So the last time we spoke, we did not have an opportunity to, uh, to visit the question of the uh, gag order placed on President Donald Trump uh, by Judge Chutkin uh, in DC. Uh, That's because the government's motion for uh, a gag order uh, was pending, but she had not yet ruled on it uh, because, uh, with full disclosure, you advised me uh, if i had had to go to appeal in the matter in which I was ultimately given a full and unconditional presidential pardon, you're well familiar with the gag order I was placed under. Uh, She has now ruled. Uh, That ruling is very broad. Uh, What is your take?
1: Well, Judge Chutkin's order is perhaps the most serious of the gag orders, even though she thinks it's limited. When I say that, I mean in contrast to the one in the civil case, I imagine we'll talk about in a moment. But uh, I I say that because of the specific constitutional rights the defendant has at issue in a criminal case. Um, I I don't think there's any possible way hers should be able uh, to be upheld uh, if a fair court hears it on review at some point. Um, I think that she violates the uh, Freedom of Speech Clause and the Freedom of the Press Clause, quite frank- frankly. I think there's an independent interest in the public, in the public has uh, to a public trial and to access to information. But think about it this way. All Donald Trump is in that case is a citizen who stands accused. As a matter of law under in-re windship and the abundant cases since then. Uh, he's entitled to the presumption of innocence at all times, which means he stands before the world as an innocent person, period, as a matter of law. Um, that's, you know, principle, uh, Fifth Amendment uh, tenet. Um, we have to understand the First Amendment and the Sixth Amendment, that is the right to counsel, right to fair trial, right to speedy trial, um, all of those other rights uh, in light of that Fifth Amendment right. In other words, he's innocent. So we don't now curtail his right to public access um, uh, because he happens to be charged with a crime. Courts have said it clearly. The United States Supreme court said it in Gentiles versus state bar of Nevada, a trial, the defense of a trial doesn't begin inside the courtroom. The defendant's entitled to present his persona as it is good or bad to the press. And that's part of establishing whether he's innocent or guilty as part of the public right of access and so on. Um, Uh, You know, the government has said before this case against him with Judge Shutkin isn't about his right to speak freely. Well, we know that's not true since they uh, uh, subpoenaed his social media, direct messages and that sort of thing. It's about his speech. That's for sure. sure. But here they're trying to cut out his speech completely uh, and chill it. I I think what's important for the public to understand also is government wants to do this after issuing a long, detailed speaking indictment an indictment that has unproven allegations throughout it, very specific, and it's now memorialized in anybody's computer who wants to download it forever. He has to be able to answer those things in the same kind of public forum. Um, You know, they talk about, oh, one concern could be influence the jury, uh, prospective jurors. Well, why is it that the speaking indictment wouldn't influence them? Or what about Judge Chutkin's comments In the other cases, the January 6th cases, really assessing blame for January 6th on President Trump squarely, the charges that he's facing now, she already decided in those other cases and said so on the record. Why wouldn't a jury pool be affected by that? Well, when it's the government or the judge who says it, they say, well, we can deal with that in voir dire, in the jury selection. Um, I I think that you can't have it both ways. And finally, I would say, you know, what she has done in that case— really gets to the core function of the First Amendment. She's trying to prohibit or chill speech that she just doesn't like. She doesn't like it that he criticizes the prosecutor in that case. She mentioned, you know, he called the prosecutor a thug. I happen to think these prosecutors are thugs. Um, And as a private citizen, everybody has the right to say that, whether he's charged with a crime or not. Now, people, lawyers might say, well, that's not very wise, to do. You know, you're angering the judge and all that. That's his prerogative. I have a sanctions motion pending right now against two of Jack Smith's prosecutors for thuggish, unethical behavior, lying to a federal judge. Um, the public deserves to know all of those things. Public deserves to know that Jack Smith has shown horrible judgment in the past in bringing cases that never should have been brought against Senator Edwards, against uh, McD- uh, go- former governor of Virginia, um, uh, all of these things are me- absolutely important matters for the public to know. And in those cases, by the way, you know, the lawyer spent a long time with Jack Smith trying to tell him why he shouldn't bring the cases. As it turned out, he shouldn't have brought the cases and they had to be dropped eventually. Um, th- that's what I have to say about it.
0: Uh, very succinct. So in essence, it's a, an act of prior restraint on his speech rights. That's right. I think, uh... What, would, what do you think uh, the president's prospects for relief are?
1: Well, I think, first of all, the procedural device has to be really set out. Um, as you know, well know, if this order is to be considered a condition of his release, you know, he's released right now on bail. If this is a condition of his release and the penalty is revoking that release, then it has to be brought up immediately on mandamus. That's pretty clear. Um, otherwise, it's not clear to me. An interlocutory appeal, an appeal before the case is finished, uh, is going to be allowed or heard. Um, and then if it is, it really, frankly, depends on the panel in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Um, they're all across the spectrum. And, you know, for some of the judges, I'm afraid, it can't get past the name Trump to the constitutional issues involved. And that's a real danger in these kinds of cases because bad law is made because of political perspectives overriding – really, the application of neutral principles of law. Uh,
0: President Donald Trump was back in Manhattan last week uh, for the civil trial uh, in which he uh, and the Trump Organization uh, and its executives, including his adult children, uh, are accused of inflating uh, the value of their assets, essentially in order to borrow money. This case doesn't make much sense to me uh, for several reasons. First of all, because no bank uh, would lend Donald Trump or anyone else money based solely on his appraisal of the value of his assets. Uh, And it appears to me that all of these banks were ably represented, (coughs) both in terms of uh, attorneys and also in terms of uh, determining the value of the collateral in essence uh in this case uh and there was also a a, a disclaimer letter uh, involved in all of these transactions but what really shocks me other than the fact that donald trump showed up at the courthouse in a blue shirt and a blue tie which i thought <laughs> looked great but i've never seen him wear ever before and i kidded him about it and he said you know some people think if i'm not wearing a white shirt and a red tie—it's not really me. Good point. Uh, <laughs> what really surprises me now is the judge in the civil case. Maybe he got this idea from Judge Chutkin. Who knows? Uh, he's threatening to to actually jail Donald Trump for his public comments in this civil case. This seems extreme to me. Uh, it's
1: extraordinary, and it's not just you know any old comment. But the judge what turned the judge uh, off is and 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 led to this order is that Donald Trump posted a picture available in the public domain of a judge, a staff member of the judge with Senator Chuck Schumer. And the implication is, again, like with the judge, this is a politically biased process assigned to a politically biased judge, just like in the Stormy Daniels case, Judge Merchant, Trump haters, Trump hating judges, but He posted a picture about the staff member uh, with Chuck Schumer. And for the public to draw any implication they wish, And the implication might be clear to some. Um, Maybe it's not accurate, but he's entitled to do it. It's extraordinary that this judge was made comment after comment uh, against President Trump, um, completely extraneous comments and comments he thinks are funny, you know, references to uh, media figures and Marx Brothers, etc., to say now that you, a private citizen who's a litigant in a civil case, is barred from commenting on the political bias or potential political bias of, a, of the court or a court staff member in a public forum in a matter of great public interest on penalty of possibly being jailed or some other sanction the judge is now considering is absolutely un-American, extraordinary, abusive, and has no place in our justice system.
0: Uh, what are the odds uh, that you will have a similar gag order issued uh, in the Alvin Bragg case, uh, which is somehow a business records case, which, while I think it probably never should have been uh, been brought, uh, somehow has become a criminal case? Uh, don't you think that we're we're not going to see a succession of these gag orders?
1: I would think so. Judge Merchant said early on he wasn't intending to impose a gag order. But he's a very, like, uh, defensive-sensitive judge. Uh, I, I don't know if it's an ego issue or what's going on there. Um, but uh, I, I, would, I would not be surprised if he ended up entering a gag order. You also have some, you know, pretty abusive prosecutors in that case, too, um, who are going to push for that kind of thing, I would think. Um, you know, I, I think if they were smart and they think that the things President Trump's saying are offensive or otherwise, they'd let him just keep talking but they know that you know he's got a tremendous following, and perhaps they know that the things he's uh, bringing out, like this connection with Senator Schumer or whatever, support the thesis at least that there's a political agenda here, a political bias, and that that shouldn't be a part of the judicial system, either the criminal justice system or the civil litigation system. But that's what the First Amendment protects. The First Amendment protects speaking about that kind of thing, and it's even heightened when it's a matter of great public interest political importance, especially during election campaign, and when it has to do with the trial of a matter in our courts, courts that are open to the public and to the media in all regards. And again, the public and the media have independent constitutional rights to access to these things. And so to chill the speech, it serves no real constitutional or American issue uh, interest, in my view. I, I want to tell you just a very quick anecdote I, I had it happen yesterday. Um, which shocked me. You know, I, I'm not, I don't really hang around with political rallies, political figures much. Um, yesterday, I was in the airport in Washington, D.C., and I saw a group of students, maybe 50 or 100. I'm not sure how many. And many or most of the students had bright red shirts on that said, Make America Great Again. I'd never seen a T-shirt with that on. I've only seen the hats. So I approached one and I said, What's this all about? Are you a group uh, supporting Donald Trump? They said, Yes, we are. They were on a trip from Des Moines, Iowa, to Washington, D.C., and they love President Trump. So I said, well, let me take, I spoke to the adults in the group. I asked if I could take their picture and then I would text it to President Trump. And if he was online, he would respond and want to talk to them all um, as he always, you know, would. So we did that. The kids were so incredibly thrilled, as were their chaperones. One of them said it was the greatest day of his life to think that he would have some contact, President Trump. He had. It turned out President Trump didn't get it until after their flight had taken off. And he, of course, said, Get them on the phone right now. I'd love to talk to them. But uh, that's the kind of following. I'd never really been exposed to that before. And I said to President Trump, you know, you must see this kind of thing all the time, I guess. But I'd never seen that kind of real devotion and all that. I, I, you know, it's, it's all, all across the country. That's what I think scares folks like Jack Smith and these others. And, again, a guy like Jerry Nadler, who said in, I think, 2019, uh, we can't trust the voters. We have to use extraneous measures to get rid of President Trump, was the implication that's about as un-American a comment as I've ever heard from a lawmaker in this country, ever.
0: Yeah, that, that is uh, the great, uh, I should say, uh, surprising uh, aspect of this entire phenomena. Uh, in other words, when, uh, when President Trump announced that he would run again, he had a solid base in the Republican Party. Uh, he raised some money. Uh, but it, it is uh, it is counterintuitive uh, the way this tsunami of lawfare has actually turbocharged his candidacy in a way that you could never have foreseen. I mean, I, I am one who has studied Trump polling numbers all the way back to when he was doing marketing studies for the old Trump casino organization. Uh, And uh, I can tell you that the reason that, that consumers, in this case, gamblers uh, went to a Trump property instead of say the golden nugget was Donald Trump. People, working people, particularly blue collar people, uh, minorities uh, loved Donald Trump. I think it was aspirational, meaning, uh, they loved, uh, you know, they loved his bravado. They loved his lifestyle. They loved the helicopter and the jet and the beautiful models and the mansions uh, uh, and the gold, gilt. Uh, and you know, it didn't matter if the golden nugget down the street offered them t- two bucks off a steak dinner. They wanted to gamble <laughs> with Donald Trump, uh, but. As a 45-year student of polling, uh, and someone who's looked at these numbers ad nauseum essentially my entire adult life, I've never really seen anything quite like the phenomena that is unfolding. With each criminal indictment, with each gag order, uh, with each uh, leak, and that's the other thing, they, these prosecutors leak uh, to damage you, he only grows stronger. Uh, They only increase the chances uh, of him winning, assuming we can have a free, fair, honest, transparent election, which, of course, we are all in favor of. He said something this past Tuesday in Iowa, which really surprised me. He said that he was prepared to go to prison if that is necessary to save this country, uh, which means he clearly believes that at least hypothetically he could be elected president from a prison cell, which I guess as long as he is not charged uh, with seditious conspiracy or I guess it's insurrection, um, he remains eligible to be president.
1: Yeah. I mean, I even have, uh, I think it's a constitutional question even if he were charged with that, whether that would override the qualifications clause for the president. But that's another issue hopefully we never have to face. But listen, the fact that you I'm going to say on record here that I believe there is no person in this country uh, who knows more about polling, assessing political candidacies, what makes the polls move, uh, what makes candidates win and lose than Roger Stone. So the fact that, you know, you've never seen anything like this before is a function, number one, of the fact there's never been anything quite like this before, but number two is is really extraordinary. I also think that in addition to policy uh, issues and charisma and all of those things that you mentioned, I believe in the American people, as I know you do, and in their fundamental fairness. And I believe that one major reason we see these spikes in the – upward spikes in the polls with each indictment is that the American people fundamentally believe that the indictments are unfair, shouldn't have been brought, um, and at least the people responding to the polls, and uh, that that's driving them also, that they refuse to permit these kinds of agendas through our criminal justice system and otherwise through litigation to prevent them from casting their vote uh, for the candidate that they want, or even if they weren't going to vote for him, they, for Donald Trump, they don't want that to be a part of our system. They want elections to be based on policy issues, and that's it, and not using these kinds of tools as a weapon. Um, and I think what they see is the conglomeration of all of these cases at one time. Take the civil case, for example. Donald Trump's been in business as a brand, everybody knew, for decades, decades, and decades. All of a sudden, you get a prosecutor who runs on a campaign of getting Donald Trump, and he's now announced the election and you see this case brought against Trump and his organization. All that same thing with Alvin Bragg ran on a platform being the first one to convict Trump when he wasn't even under investigation or indictment. These are outrageous things that I think really hit people wrong.
0: Well, and you add to it obviously uh, uh, the the manifestation of open borders, uh, which are is a crime epidemic in the country, uh, which is a, a drug epidemic in the country, specifically. Fentanyl. Uh, The Biden administration's decision to essentially uh, reject all oil and gas drilling permits and and close uh, exploration uh, in the Arctic, uh, returning us to having to go hat in hand to Venezuela or to Saudi Arabia uh, or elsewhere for oil. Uh, 76% increase uh, in the price uh, of groceries, uh, epic uh, inflation, uh, which is killing the buying power uh, of the working family's dollar. And now, bigger than all of that, which I spoke about in the first segment of the show, I, I honestly believe we are on the cusp of World War III. So the very people who told us Uh, Donald Trump will crash the economy and cause World War III, they themselves are on the verge of crashing the economy and causing World War III. It's, It's a toxic mix for the Democrats, and I think that they are so certain of their correctness that they cannot see the political volatility of it. Uh, David, we had two uh, surprise announcements uh, late last week. Uh, they were that uh, lawyer Sidney Powell uh, and lawyer Kenneth Chessborough uh, both pled guilty uh, in Georgia uh, to charges by Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Wills. They are charged uh, with a group of others, including President Donald Trump. Uh, I guess the charge is knowing the election uh, was lost and seeking to reverse the results. Not really clear to me. Um, I do not know Mr. Chessborough. I've never met Sidney Powell. Uh, I, I've, I, I, uh, I'm very surprised uh, by this result. What is your reaction to these uh, guilty pleas?
1: And I'm surprised by it also to some degree, given the way their lawyers were talking about. Uh, the lawyer for uh, Chesborough, or however his name is pronounced, has been saying in the media all day long, uh, for weeks, that uh, his client would never plead guilty, that uh, he's going to fight this thing all the way, they demand a trial, and so on. But, you know, the prosecutor holds all the cards, and they can make a deal as sweet as they want it to be, um, and they sort of have all of the leverage in the process. Sidney Powell pled to misdemeanors. I'm not sure yet what um, Chesborough is pleading to. They both agreed testify truthfully, you know, they would have a tough time uh, pinning the idea that this was a stolen election or that steps need to be taken on Donald Trump, uh, since they clearly uh, were the lawyers advising on that case. Sidney Powell was all over the place with this Kraken uh, business that she spoke about. Um, You know, Donald Trump is a layperson. He relied on his lawyers without any question. And you can say, that as you know, Jack Smith says, well, people told him uh, it was a fair election. Some people did, and some people told him and showed him reams of data that they believed showed that the election wasn't fair, that there were irregularities. They acted on that advice. Um, you know, I, I don't know what their thinking is. I think the immediate impact of the case, though, of the pleas, is that it may well move up uh, a trial for Donald Trump and the other defendants in time. Because, remember, these folks had demanded a speedy trial. They were going to go to trial later this month, and um, uh, the trial was going to last for three to four months. It would have given President Trump and the others a complete preview of the evidence, um, which is a major advantage. I think that's partially what drove the prosecution in this case to offer sort of sweetheart deals. You know, Sidney Powell has to write a letter of apology. But, uh, you know, you're also talking about people who have never been on that side of the criminal justice system before. And so, uh, you know, it's not unexpected to see people like that, lawyers, white collar defendants fold. Uh,
0: It does seem, however, that the Sixth Amendment has evaporated, that there is there is no protection uh, when a lawyer uh, is defending his client. Uh, I was shocked uh, to see uh, Judge Beryl Howell, who's now retired in D.C., Uh, rule that certain of President Trump's lawyers had to turn over uh, their notes of their conversations with him and presumably ultimately testify regarding their conversations with him, I would have thought that that would all have been uh, protected by the privilege. Has the privilege just evaporated?
1: Yeah, I think it was protected. I think that's one of the major mistakes. By the way, she just stepped down as chief judge. She's still sitting as a judge, another real anti-Trumper. Um, I think that her uh, decision was terrible in the case. I think you know she turned over Evan Corcoran's notes, President Trump's lawyer at the time, uh, in wholesale fashion just about, didn't let him review the redactions that were made, which is really uh, also extraordinary. And uh, I think that that, in fairness, should be the undoing of the Florida case, because I think that evidence went to the grand jury, tainted the entire indictment process, and it never should have happened. So um, I think that's a major issue in the case. But, yes, in, when it comes to Trump-related cases, they waive this banner of crime fraud exception to the uh, attorney-client privilege around. Courts are all too willing to buy into it simply because a charge has been raised. Or even in the case of a judge in California, before a charge has been raised, they find that the crime fraud, fraud exception must, have apply, must apply, and they, the privilege was waived. And I think it's terrible. It's chilling to the attorney-client. Uh, privilege relationship. I think it's going to reverberate uh, throughout uh, relationships around the country like that. I think it's very dangerous. Again, that's a fundamental principle of our criminal justice system, and that is that a client must be able to rely on the confidentiality uh, between communications between lawyer and client, and it's the client's uh, right and privilege, not the lawyer's
0: All right, Um, I'm afraid we are out of time. I want to thank uh, uh, criminal defense attorney David Schoen, criminal defense attorney extraordinaire for uh, sharing his expertise with us today.